0: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 122 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam and I'm joined by absolutely no one today. I'm recording this intro when Jill is uh, doing some work in New York City as well as having some fun there and I'm about to go have an adventure as well. So uh, if you're following the timeline of when we're doing all these things and if you listen to these podcasts relatively close to each other, you'll know that I'm recording these uh, around the same time that we did our June's Best Books podcast, which I hope you guys checked out um, last week, this week, whenever you do it. The books are pretty evergreen, but they come out in June, so that's why we talk about them at the beginning of each month. Uh, this particular episode is an interview I did with Kat Clark. She is an author who wrote this beautiful book called The Pants Project. Um, It's all about this character whose name is Liv, and Liv is transgender. And not only is Liv transgender, uh, but Liv is about to be entering middle school. So uh, it's this whole discussion about, you know, it's not even about sexuality, it's just about how you define yourself. And uh, Liv is going to this school, you know, that makes females wear. She, she may, They make females wear skirts, excuse me. And Liv knows in, in her in, in his heart that he's always meant to be a boy. So hates the dress code, doesn't want to wear a skirt, and goes through a lot to try to get the school to change their, their policy on, on allowing people that they see as girls to be allowed to wear pants. Because, again, Liv identifies as a boy. It's this story that... She wrote it for middle grade, but everyone should read it. Um, I read this book in one day and was sobbing while I was while I, I went through it because it's so beautifully written and just the characters are so perfect. They're they all, you know almost all of the characters in this book have redeeming qualities and there's just so much hope in it. it makes me really feel, it it made me feel good in a time when you know a lot of people may not be entirely sure about where the world is going and uh, you know all that type of stuff. If you've listened to any of our podcasts in the past, you know that Joe and I are very, very big supporters of equality, you know across all, you know religious equality, sexual equality, uh, and everything in between. So this was a a delight to get to talk with Cat about. We also discussed her career as an as an editor and, and all sorts of different things that, that she's done uh, with her life. So I, th- I think you'll really enjoy it, I, I hope. I, I want to know your thoughts on this one. Uh, and again, even if this is something, if you're not normally a person who reads LGBT or if you don't usually read middle school books, I am just going to implore you to you know take an afternoon, take a couple hours to read this book. It, it won't take you too long. It's important, and I think... It will help you get a new perspective on things if you don't normally read these types of books. Also, want to say we're releasing this on Memorial Day in the United States. So if you listen to our podcast the day that they come out, um, we had one come out on Saturday. We had one come out on Thursday. And we have one, one today on a Monday. I know that's a lot of stuff to get through. But hey, you, you know, again, if you're in the United States and you listen to this when, when it comes out, you've got to, you, in theory, have a day off. So you can catch up on all our podcasts. Um, You can always reach us by sending us a tweet at ProBookNerds, or you can shoot us an email at ProfessionalBookNerds uh, at Overdrive.com. And I just want to tell you, we've been getting so many delightful emails over the last couple of weeks, and keep them coming. Uh, We want to know your thoughts. We want to give you book recommendations. We want All those things and more. So, yeah, shoot us an email, shoot us a tweet. That's what we're here for. We talk about books all day, and obviously you can listen to the podcast and get our recommendations. But if you want some personalized ones, tell us what you're reading. And, yeah, as I've mentioned a few times before, if you want to friend me on Goodreads, you can find me. My name is Adam Sokol, S-O-C-K-E-L. Every time I do that, I get a few new friends, and it's great to be able to interact with you guys there. And if you wouldn't mind, if you want to go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating that helps other people find our podcast, and then we can share the you know, the book nerd love all around the world, start a little little clan of, uh, of book nerds all around the world. So, all right. I think that's it. I'm going to go ahead and say that's it. I'm the only one here, so I guess I get to decide. Uh, like the wedding, you know, the wedding singer, they said, I... I have the microphone, so you will listen to every word I have to say, although that's not true. You could easily turn this podcast off, but I hope you don't, because I want you guys to hear everything that Kat Clark has to say. It's very important, and her book is truly wonderful. So, okay. I promise that's it for real this time. I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. (laughs) hi everyone this is adam from team overdrive and today i'm joined by kat clark a best-selling award-winning author of teen and ya books Uh, before becoming a full-time author kat worked as an editor at scholastic uk working on non-fiction bestsellers and her latest book the pants project which we'll be talking about today is now available kat thank you so much for taking some time and joining us today Thanks so much for having me, Adam. So, before we get started, would you mind just giving our listeners a little bit of a brief explanation about The Pants Project, in case they're not familiar with the title?
1: Sure. Um, The Pants Project is my debut middle-grade novel. Um, It's about an 11-year-old transgender boy named Liv Spark. Uh, He knows he's transgender, but he hasn't talked to his parents about it yet. And he's headed off to middle school and completely dreading it because of the school's uniform policy, um, in which girls, in inverted commas, have to wear skirts. And at the moment, people think that Liv is a girl. So the Pants Project is about Liv's quest to change the school's uniform policy. And along the way, he has to deal with new friendships and old ones. Um, There's a death in the family. And he also has to contend with his very, very annoying little brother.
0: (laughs) And I have to say, the the book is so beautifully written, and it's such a wonderful topic. But it's definitely something I would imagine as an author that um, you know was was tricky to to make sure you got it right. So, what made you want to tell this story?
1: I mean, there there were a couple of a couple of things that came came together that made me want to write the story. Um, I saw some news stories uh, about arcane school uniform rules being applied in various schools um, uh, in the UK and I think I saw one in New Zealand and that sort of piqued my interest Um, and I got to thinking about how ridiculous it is that we force children into this gender binary at such a young age. Um, My school uniform policy um, was very strict. I had to wear a hideous brown uniform and girls were made to wear skirts And they had to be a certain length and you had to have your tie a certain way. Um, I I hated it. (laughs) Um, And I I wanted to also write about a child who's brought up by tolerant, understanding parents who allow their kids to be exactly who they want to be. And it's only when society intrudes um, in the form of this restrictive uniform policy that Liv's gender identity becomes an issue. Um, Liv has two moms. I had to remember to say "moms." Cause mm-hmm. I'm from the UK, and I <laughs> naturally would say "mums." Um, and I, I wanted to also talk about the distinction between sexuality and gender identity, which is something that Liv himself comments on in the book. Mm-hmm. So th- those were the those were the things sort of brewing in my mind when I when I had the original idea for the Pants Project.
0: And so, uh, something I'm really curious about for this is your research process, because I, you know, there's, you can always, you know, when you're writing a a book, you can obviously do as much research as you want about a specific topic or location, but for something like this with, uh, you know, writing about a transgender preteen, I imagine there's a lot of, you know, challenges and things that you want to make sure that you get exactly right. So, what was your process like when you were doing the research for this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I suppose the first thing to say is I don't think there's any way for me to get it exactly right. It, in some ways there is no right because each person's experience is different. There's no single correct narrative for any type of person. Um, with that said, obviously I didn't want to get it horribly wrong or, or cause any harm of or offense. So I wanted to I wanted to you know, make sure I, I did my homework. Um, so I talked to young trans people um, at a, a local youth group. Um, I read a fair number of books. Um, YouTube was actually a great a great resource. Um, I watched lots of trans teens telling their own stories in their own words, often documenting their transition. But these these were all older. These are te- these are teenagers. Um, so I think in a way, because I was writing about an 11-year-old. Um, uh, a lot of the, the the trickier, again in inverted commas, issues aren't really relevant for the for this age group. Um, there were certain things I, I wouldn't be able to talk about in a middle grade novel that I would want to if I was um, writing about this subject for young adults. Um, and then, so I, I started writing after I'd done all my research and then I also had a uh, sensitivity readers to look at the manuscripts. Um, but you know at the end of the day it's it the books I write including this one I think are, are a lot about feelings and emotions and and a lot of those are are universal.
0: <laughs> absolutely. By there
1: being specific issues that are only relevant to to transgender young people.
0: Right. And and that's something I as I was reading this you're absolutely right it, you know when when you see and unfortunately, and this is something that I'll ask a little bit later, but I don't. Th- there's not enough novels about you know transgender teens and, and getting into the whole we mm. need diverse books movement and things. But um, did you come across any stories or, or things about uh, you know preteens who are kind of wrestling the, with this? It was just so fascinating while I was reading the book, trying to think about you know myself at that own age and what what things I about and it feels so yeah. long ago now so but did you come across stories of people who were you know this young and and f- kind of figuring these things out in life
1: I, I did actually there, there, there's a couple of documentary documentaries I watched that have actually uh, had quite a bad uh, bad reception online for the for the way they uh, represented uh, the transgender experience but I, I watched an excellent um, documentary uh, in the UK called I am Leo, Mm -hmm. I think it's I am Leo, or my name is Leo about a transgender boy. And he's in this same age group as Liv. And he knows, he knows who he is. And I think that, that I think sometimes um, adults, cisgender adults find it hard to comprehend that that a child can can know that at that age. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we have to, to get across that, children know a lot more than we give them credit for.
0: Absolutely. And so um, something that I'm always interested in when I'm talking to people who, who write books for a living mm. is did you have the entire arc of this story kind of played out in your mind um, you know, while you were writing it or were you sort of discovering the plot as you were writing it? Actually, I, I suppose I should have used the play on words and just asked if you were a planner or a pantser, especially with the name of the book. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I used to, I used to be a pantser. Uh, then I then I became a planner, and then with the pants project, I, I appropriately went a little back to, to being a pantser. Um, I in, for this one, I kind of discovered the plot as I wrote. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I knew there was going to be this uh, this fight against the uniform policy sure. because I you know I had the book's title in mind. Um, <laughs> But I just really enjoyed the experience of writing it and discovering Liv's story while I was writing it. I know sometimes that sounds that can sound silly like the the writer's as much in the dark <laughs> as the reader, but that's that's how it feels like a little bit of a little bit of magic. Um, I knew this one had to have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever read any of my young adult books, you'll find that's quite rare for me <laughs> um. So that was that was quite fun to write. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to, to say that the ending is yeah,
0: you yeah, no, I think you're in the clear. <laughs> I think you're in the clear saying that that's okay. Um, yeah, you. <laughs> my. Uh... And then I,
1: I added some aspects in um, of the book, in when I was working on the edits, mm-hmm. like the character of uh, Marion Meltzer didn't exist in the original draft. Oh, ah, interesting. Um, and I just I felt something was something was lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was quite happy to to add her and it just feels like you're just you know
0: magicing up a new person from nowhere which is pretty fun <laughs> uh speaking of some of the characters of the book my absolute favorite one is jacob who is a boy that befriends oh. our main character live and the thing that I, I love about him and honestly a lot of what i love about reading diverse ya and, and middle grade books in general is just how comfortable he is with you know the fact that people are different and and he's totally yeah. okay with that. And I think he really represents a perfect example of how most children do interact with with each other. I mean, unless they're taught otherwise, sure. they really don't seem to concern themselves with gender or race or what sets them apart. They just see another person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a, a beautiful yeah. outlook to, well, thank to share. Thank you
1: for, for saying that. Jacob's one of my favorites, too. Um, and I totally agree with what, with what you said. Um, again, I don't think we give children enough enough credit um funnily enough, when the book was on submission with publishers, at least two, probably three editors said they didn't think Jacob should be or would be so understanding mm-hmm. when Liv uh, comes out to him. They, they literally could not get their heads around an 11-year-old boy acting like a, a decent human being, <laughs> which was, which was which I found quite depressing. Yeah. But uh, thankfully, the next generation of young people are anything but depressing um (laughs) you know i think i I have so much hope for the future that children today are more aware and more political and more open than than we give them credit for i think we, we we could learn a lot from them
0: yeah, I completely agree. Actually I saw this story recently of there's a couple I think there were second graders in the United States and uh their best friends and one of them is African American and one of them is Caucasian and the um the African American one has uh his head is shaved and the Caucasian one who's his best friend was going to get his hair cut and his mom asked how he wanted to get his hair cut and the little Caucasian boy said, I wanna get my head shaved like my best friend so that our teacher won't be able to tell us apart. And it was just like the most right, and it was just like it the most adorable, adorable story, exactly. And that that I felt like, I actually saw that story as I was reading the Pants Project, and it, it just yeah. aligned so perfectly for me. Where it's just, I th- like you said, I think I have such a positive outlook on the people who will kind of follow us in the world, and it. I think we could learn so much from just the way yeah. that. I mean,
1: we're making. Mess of things at the moment
0: <laughs> exactly. So it can,
1: exactly it certainly can't
0: get any worse well exactly yeah. <laughs> so um something else you know that I think is so interesting I, and I I've mentioned I absolutely love this book so much but I have to imagine you probably had a few people question you when you were decided to write a middle grade book you know with you know LGBT things in it. So did you get any pushback from people just saying, you know, maybe this is a little too, uh, touchy of a subject for people or I'm just, I'm interested on, on the feedback you got while you were writing it.
1: Yeah. Well, my, my agent was, was totally on board with it, which, you know, is the sort of first person I I have to please. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, there were some interesting responses when, when the book went out on submission. Um, but to you know, to be blunt, I'm I'm not particularly concerned about the opinions of anyone who sees LGBT anything as mm-hmm. as an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, LGBT kids exist and deserve to see themselves in books. It, you know, for me, it's kind of it's it's that simple, and I think it's fantastic that we're seeing more LGBT books for this age group, like uh, George by Alex Gino yes. and the Nate series by Tim Federley. Um And I don't know about you, but I haven't come across a single example of a middle grade book with LGBT content that isn't appropriate for the age group. Sure. Uh, There's nothing being talked about these books that's, you know, that's scandalous in any way. mm -hmm.
0: No, that's a, that's a really good point. And and sometimes it's, it's, it's ironic because I get to talk to so many diverse authors who specifically say Mm. exactly what you said, you know, maybe they're from, I have some really good friends who are authors now and they're. Ecuadorian, and they said they became an author because they wanted other people like her to be able to see themselves in books. Um, But along those same lines, you're right, I haven't seen anybody with a negative reaction to these books, and sometimes I actually think it's, um, you know, a lot of times people will be turned off, or they'll be stuck in their own little world where they only see books that feature people like them, whereas me, it's the other way around. I'm so surrounded by wonderful authors who write these things but the only people that I'm ever really talking to is people who would be interested in those books or the ones that are writing them so I'm yes. always curious about you know sort of the outside view but you're absolutely I think you're the way that you said that is you know you're not really concerned with what they would think I think you're absolutely right that's a perfect attitude to have about it.
1: I, I just I, it's, it's an issue I find hard to get my head around because like like you I, I guess and, and like most children I think they want to to read books, uh, about, about new experiences about different people. You know, I think if, 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 if all books, you know, were the same, wouldn't life be dreadfully boring? <laughs> I, completely... I think, I think there's also this tendency. I think some people think that, you know, LGBT books are, are somehow like sexualized, mm-hmm. wh- you know, which is absolute nonsense that we have, that we have to, to fight against, um, you know, if they're, If there can be stories for all ages, you know, picture books, uh, young readers, middle grade, about cisgender and straight kids, then there should be some about trans kids and queer kids, too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's simple representation that that we need.
0: Yeah, I think as... As I'm not surprised, but you're obviously preaching to the choir here. But um,
1: <laughs> I know I'm just bang- banging
0: my drums. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I always laugh when I'm talking to diverse authors cuz they'll be saying things and I'm just nodding my head. Yes. I'm like, "Well, I guess you <laughs> don't really need to prove it to me." But what are your thoughts on the, you know, kind of the we need diverse books movement as a whole? You know, I I think mm. we're moving in the right direction, but what do you think about the whole, you know, kind of landscape of diverse books right now for YA and and middle grade and, you know, young readers in general? Well, I
1: think We need diverse books, is fantastic and so important. And I think you guys in the States are quite far ahead of us in the UK when it it comes to this. Um, But as you say, there are still far too few LGBT books available for for young readers, especially intersectional books. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's this idea that uh, again came up when uh, the Pants Project was on submission, um, that LGBT is or was a trend like uh, like vampires or dystopian novels, right? Um, as if LGBT readers and and those interested reading interested in reading about LGBT characters are just going to you know disappear or lose interest when the next you know big thing is like unicorns <laughs> or something. I, it's um, it's baffling to me that a, that, that a whole swathe of people can can be dismissed as a trend, right? Um, but I think it's it's part of the problem that. Uh, LGBT stories have been erased in the past. They just haven't existed. That it's, it's all very new to some people, and that obviously change makes, makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, queer and trans people have already, always existed, and, and they're now getting to see themselves represented in, in all walks of life, you know, TV, movies, um, books. So I think the change, change is, is coming. As you say, it's, it's slow, uh, we're chipping away at it mm-hmm. bit by bit. I think one of the biggest barriers is the lack of diversity in the publishing industry. Um, you know, as long as the people making the decisions about which books get commissioned um, are primarily uh, white, cisgender, straight mm-hmm. women, uh, that's a I know that's a massive generalization, but, but mm-hmm. <laughs> generalizations exist for a reason. Yeah, I think absolutely. as long as as long as that 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 group exists, I think it's it's it is going to be slow. I mean, over here there's several initiatives um, being set up by publishing companies to uh, to address this I- internships for minorities and things like that. So I'm I'm hopeful for the next few years. I mean, I've been hopeful for the last few years. <laughs> But, but I think I think we're we're seeing progress. I don't I don't know what you think.
0: Mm-hmm. I I I would agree. And actually speaking of publishing, that kind of leads into my next question. I'm I'm curious. I know that you've spent, you know, most if not all of your career in the publishing world and initially as as an editor and and things like that. So I'm curious when, you know, working with other authors and their stories and kind of seeing how the sausage gets made, so to speak, did that lead you to want to be a writer more or to kind of hesitate towards becoming an author, just knowing what the whole process is like?
1: I'm loving the Hamilton reference.
0: Thank you, there. thank you. I, I was hoping you would pick up <laughs> on it. Points.
1: <laughs> Two points for you. Thank you, thank um, you. I did, I did always want to be a writer, um, ever since I was 12 years old and I um, started reading Christopher Pike
0: mm-hmm. books.
1: Um, I don't know, have you read Christopher Pike?
0: A little bit when I was when I was younger as well, yeah.
1: Yeah, so they they I was obsessed with them, and and as a as a Brit, the, the reading about cheerleaders and football players and American high schools was just the peak <laughs> of excitement in my life. Um, so I always had the the wish to write, and then I I ended up working in publishing, but I worked in nonfiction, mm-hmm. so I was writing and editing nonfiction books. So there was a bit of separation between that and the writing I did in my spare time. Um, but when it came to looking for agents or, or being on submission, I it did give me some insight into into how the sausage gets made. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, in some ways made it better because I knew what I was getting into and I you know, I knew the the the, the lingo if if you like. Right. But in some ways it, it made it more painful. <laughs> so sometimes knowledge can be a bad thing. Um, but I, it didn't. It didn't put me off wanting to write my own stories, um, and uh, you know I was able to get encouragement from uh, fiction editors that I worked with. That you know they were like, "Yeah, you you should definitely try and get published." So I kept going where I might have just given up. Well, I mean, it took it took a long time though. Yeah.
0: Well, and then actually that. That also makes me curious. As someone who, you know, used to spend your, your your day job editing, do you ever come across situations where, you know, with your own work when you have an editor where they'll suggest a change and you know, do you ever kinda have an internal thought of like, well, no, 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 I know better. I, I used to do this as well. Like is there ever that kind of well, internal yeah. struggle?
1: I mean, always. But the thing the thing that I find is the more I rail against a change, the 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 angrier it makes me, mm-hmm. the, the more right it turns out to be. Um, whereas whereas if it's a change uh, the editor suggests and I'm just like ah, I don't know I could go either way, that's usually a change that doesn't need to be made. But if it's one that makes me furious, <laughs> I come back to it you know a day later and I'm like oh they they were right yeah okay. but um. they they. I, you know they have a distance which you, you know you cannot edit your own work in in the same way that someone else can right that that distance is something I, you know I can never get so i am I'm, I'm always grateful for for a good set of edits.
0: Uh. Um, right, so something on your website that I, I have to talk to you about uh, normally we'll ask authors who are chatting with some of the books that they're big fans of or books that they grew up with, with loving but you literally and conveniently on your website have a books I like section <laughs> um, so there's two of them I want to kind of ask you about one is the His, okay. His Dark Materials series and then the other one is The Knife of Never Letting Go which broke my heart into a million little pieces and um, what is it about these books that you love so much? Because we have fans here of the His Dark Materials series. And then again, just The Knife of Never Letting Go is so... I read it once and I loved it, but I could never read it again. So I'm just curious of, for you what your I thoughts you.
1: are. Uh, Manchi, right?
0: Uh, yeah. Oh, I I can't even... Say <laughs> no more. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um, uh, yes. You need to be... Uh... Feeling emotionally uh, pretty robust to read the, the knife of never letting <laughs> go, don't you? Um, I think the the thing that drew me in initially to to both the sets of books actually was how uncomfortable they made me feel. Yes. Like I, I, the first few chapters, I was like, oh, this is this is strange. This is weird. I I I'm not sure I like it. That sort of uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. Yes. Feeling. Um. And you know, I usually shy away from that. I I usually I I err towards reading um, uh, contemporary, and, and these books are not contemporary. Mm-hmm. So, I you know that I had that kind of nervous feeling when I started them. But you know, I, as I kept reading with with both the Pullman and the Ness books, I I I was confident that I was in a safe pair. You know, <laughs> I was I was in safe hands. Like it was going to be okay. And Philip Pullman and Patrick Ness are master storytellers, <sighs> and uh, you know I would I would follow them wherever wherever they led me. Um, so I'm super excited about the new Philip Pullman book mm-hmm. that's coming out next year. So I'm going to be having a reread of his Dark Materials. Um, but I <laughs> I have a confession that I, I haven't actually read the third book in uh, the Patrick Ness trilogy. I I cannot bear to read it. D-
0: exactly I-, I know exactly you what you mean. <laughs>
1: I don't want it to end, uh, and I also fear that that Patrick might just, you know, break my heart once and for all. But yeah, and I, you know, I might never recover. Yeah, he. Have you
0: read it? I I actually haven't either. I can't like I can't <laughs> handle it. It took me it took me so long to get between the knife of never letting go and the second one to like yeah. re, especially as I I'm not going to give any spoilers, but as a dog lover, and I'll just leave it at that. It just hurt Mm. my heart so much, and then the second one did the exact same thing, so I'm actually right there with you. I haven't been able to complete the series yet, and it just, uh, it's, yeah, I, it seems like we might be in the same boat when it comes to these books.
1: Maybe we should form some kind of support group and and read it at the same time.
0: Yeah, like a, like an inner, be there for each other. I was just going to say like a cross-Atlantic, like a a cross-Atlantic book club of some sort. That could work. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I, I I saw that and it, I just couldn't look away from it, so I, I always had to check. But um, uh, so, being a library company, we always love asking authors: Do you have any kind of fond experiences with libraries? Or any thoughts about libraries you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh
1: gosh, yes. Um, my mom used to take me to the library every week after school. I think it was on a Friday. Um. And I, you know, I knew the children's section inside out. You know, if there was one new book on the third shelf from the right, I would spot it within seconds. (laughs) Um, And I I would, you know, I would choose five or six books that I wanted to take home with me and then sit there, you know, cross-legged on the floor reading as many other books as I could before (laughs) my mom came to take me home again. Like, I I read weird sort of non-fiction books Mm -hmm. about random sports that I thought I might want to take up, like... (laughs) cross country skiing and <laughs> athletics like I liked reading about these things I never actually did any of them <laughs> um, and I, w- I would read books also about pets mm-hmm. I'd be like okay I'm going to take out three books about hamsters this week and see if I want to <laughs> get a hamster or gerbils like, I ended up getting gerbils oh, um, man. so i have I have super fond memories um, of, of going to the library as a child and I don't know what it's like in the states but um in the UK, libraries are really under threat, um, and more and more are closing every year. Right. And schools are getting rid of librarians, you know, saying we don't, we don't need them because of the internet, mm-hmm. which is just too stupid to even address. <laughs> um, and it, you know it's devastating to me. Um, I visit schools quite a lot, and I, I, I always request to do my events in the library mm-hmm. rather than in classrooms and it's always apparent as soon as you walk into the library that these places are safe havens, Um, particularly for children who feel like they don't fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, they, They often seem to gravitate towards the library, and the librarians I've met I met one a couple of weeks ago. He was so inspiring. And quite quite subversive in the, in the books that she <laughs> she uh in, not encouraged children t- children to read but if they wanted to read them she would she would find a way to get to get them into their hands. Right. Um and this was in a, you know, you a, a Catholic Catholic school but she was she she just knows how important books are, obviously, mm-hmm. so, I don't know, librarians are
0: kind of uh, my superheroes. <laughs> well, you have about 30 librarians in our office here that would wholeheartedly agree with you, so that's one of, my, <laughs> one of my favorite parts of my job, is I literally have an endless supply of book recommendations, if I were to ever need them, because we have an entire team of staff librarians here, so they would be, again, kind of preaching to the choir with you, they would be right on the same page. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, so towards the end of our podcast, we like to ask nine questions that we call the Nerd Nine, literally just because we like okay. alliteration. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're meant to be rapid fire. They rarely end up ever being that way. But the first one is, what's the last book you finished?
1: Um, Jane Eyre, uh, which I read for the first time. It's my first Bronte Um And it blew my mind.
0: (laughs) Do you have a that's a a short answer? Yeah, no, that works. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read?
1: Um, in bed.
0: Uh do you have a guilty pleasure? Like mine would be I share so many pictures of my dogs on social media that it's kind of absurd. Uh I think
1: that would probably be mine too. (laughs) Um although mine is probably like Doing it with people I meet you know at a book event or anything as soon as you know maybe they're not even that interested but they're like I say oh I need to get back home because I've got to go and let my dogs out and then I'm like would you like to see a picture (laughs) (laughs) and I I like to think I convert people to the the dog loving cause that way
0: if I can be honest I literally did that this morning at the coffee shop so (laughs) (laughs) we're not so different you and I Um, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to?
1: Uh, India. My mother was born there, and I would really love to go one day.
0: Uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate?
1: I'd probably go with Christmas. Uh, more (laughs) for the food than anything else. Sure. I would totally be down with Thanksgiving, but unfortunately we... We can't celebrate that here.
0: <laughs> are you a coffee person or a tea person?
1: Uh, tea. Although I, I had my first coffee like three years ago and I'm, I'm slowly getting used to it. <laughs> I'm forcing myself to like it because I think grown-ups should like
0: coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, so I already know the answer to this next one. Uh, it's, are you a cat person or a dog person? And I know you're going to say dogs, correct?
1: Do De- you? Aha, hold on. I have two cats as well as two dogs. Oh,
0: okay. Well, tell you what, here's what I will add. What kind of dogs do you have? How about that?
1: I have two English Cocker Spaniels.
0: Wonderful. Um,
1: and I have two, two black cats. And one of the cats is missing half of her, one of her back legs. Oh. Um, and I, I, I left them all equally, Adam, of course.
0: Okay, well, that's perfectly but I, I, okay.
1: If you had to twist my arm, I'm, I'm a bit more of a dog person. Okay,
0: That's the right answer, by the way. Um, do you have a favorite food? Cheese? That, yes, that's, that's the right answer as well. Um, and then our last one of these is, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would you choose?
1: This, this is something I think about quite a lot, and it probably changes from week to week. So I'm going to be greedy and choose three people, sure. which would be the Bronte sisters. Oh, that's Because great. now that I've read one one book uh, <laughs> by one of them, I'm completely fascinated by them and their story and their lives. Um, so can I have
0: can I have the three? I will allow you to have the three. That and you, you can even say oh, you would have yeah. you would have you know dinner with one of them, but you'd have it in their family household, so they're all there, and then that that would work. Yeah, out as that well. sounds. Yeah, that would work. This is a malleable question, so I'll allow it. <laughs> Um, Thank you. And then our last question before I let you go, because I know you have to run. What do you hope readers take away from reading The Pants Project?
1: Oh, that's, a, that's always a tough one. I, it's one I find find difficult to answer. Um, you know, there's, there's not a moral of the story, per se. It's for, you know, for me, it's a, it's, it's a story, first and foremost, and I hope that readers just enjoy reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were to twist my arm, um, as I know you're going to <laughs> I would say um, I'd like readers to take away the idea that it's it's worth fighting for what you believe in um, that it's important to put yourself in other people's shoes um, and I guess that nobody is perfect uh, not even Liv, uh, <laughs> you know the, the hero of my book he, you know he makes mistakes he he upsets people he, he sometimes he treats people poorly um, but he's trying. So I think, I think that, that's like three. So I said there's no morals and There's like three right there.
0: <laughs> no, those are perfect. Kat, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. Absolutely. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace.